So welcome to Jolty. Welcome back to Jolty. It's been a month, actually, a long time for us. We've been busy um, sort of getting our 2024 lives together and organizing a great crop, if that's the right noun, of guests for this year. And um, we're kicking it off with somebody who is fascinating, both because of who he is and the business he's in, which is the gut microbiome, which is the organ of the future. We love the future, particularly when it's an organ. And um, we are looking forward to talking to him about what's going on deep inside us that we don't even know about until it messes us up. So, Faith, so uh, what do you think? Yeah. Well, I love his name. His name is Momo Vivicic. And I had him on my panel at CES, and he was absolutely fantastic. And then I was just reading recently, which we can ask him about, that the brain's supposed to have a biome. I saw so, that. Yeah, I sent you that. I thought that would be very interesting, too, to inquire about, you know, and are they different? Are they connected or what? But um, yeah. I'm, he's, he makes a lot of sense. He, he kills some things we all believe in, like, you know, people may tell you almonds are good for you, but, you know, for certain biomes, it's the worst thing you could possibly be eating. So it's all about, like, I guess, you know, individual, one-on-one, um, -on -one, singular uh, analysis of what you should be eating. Yeah, they okay. they take your poop. They take your poop. Nice. And then they give you, well, you know, I was very polite in an G-rated yeah. podcast. They take your well, poop. Well, you, you have six-year-old grandchildren. You're getting, like, getting the lingo. Then I would say poopy. Oh, okay. <laughs> they, take they take your, your poopy. And they analyze it. And then they tell you what you should eat and what you shouldn't eat. And what will give you a healthier microbiome and through that a healthier um, constitution, including the brain. Because as we'll talk about, there's something called the gut-brain axis. So it's not like the brain, to your point about the brain biome, is sort of cut off. You used to think the brain just is cut off the rest of our bodies. But the rest of our body really has a direct effect on cognition and uh, mental health and mental well-being. Do you think anybody's paying attention to this, though, this biome thing, except for the, you know, the blah, you blah? Know, the okay. body hackers, the Silicon Valley body hackers, the yeah. quantified self, those people are obsessed with it. But yeah. I don't know. If you watch, you know, A CNN. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. If you watch CNN, if you watch McDonald's ads, you know, but you shouldn't even think about your microbiome. Just think about your Big Mac. But if you watch, you know, CNN, which old people watch, you see a lot of commercials for um, products that stimulate a healthy gut, not yeah. necessarily testing because, you know, his product's expensive, but I yeah. think there is a lot of consumer interest in the microbiome and um, the microbiota and have to say the flora and the fauna inside our uh, Oh, now systems. you're tripping through the forest. Okay. I, yeah. was, I was looking at Outlive. He talks about it a lot. Uh, What's his name? Atia? Tia? Something. Peter Atia. Peter Atia. Yeah. Um, it's just very hard to observe. I was watching the Blue Zone diet and that billionaire who just takes a hundred, you know, what pills a day. And I was thinking, yeah. could I, you know, could I do this? I don't think I could swallow a hundred pills, but it does work. I mean, you know, he he exercises, he eats just a very boring diet, same thing every day, not to upset your biome, just expects what it gets and it gets the same thing. 
But I don't know, you know, no drinking, going to bed early, no going out, no having fun, no It's pizza. too late. It's too late. It's way too late for that for us. Way too late. But really? Oh, that's ask, good to we, know. Yeah. We should okay, ask let's Momo. ask him. I don't think, this, that's two things. One is, can you go back? Can you undo some of the damage? Not I all. think you can. Just, they say you can. I think you can, too. Particularly the brain, you know, is neuroplastic. But I think, I think the fact that you should eat the same thing every day is actually bad for your microbiome because oh, you need to stimulate. The blue guy says it's good. I don't know. Well, this is a. We'll have him a, on. Well, let's the blue guy. yeah, because I think that you need to stimulate different bacteria. Different there's trillions of bacteria, and then there's different classifications of bacteria. If all you do is eat the same thing, it's like a monoculture of the body. You think it's a conversation, don't you? I do. Behind all that, you do. You think everything's a conversation. I do. Momo, I'm so excited. Okay, bring him in. Momo. Can Hello. you hear us? Hello. I can you hear me? I'm so happy. Meet Adam Hampt, my friend and my jolty partner. And he is very jolty. He's very, very jolty. I am. And you're I'm, jolty, I'm very, Momo. I'm jumping in jolty. How are you, Momo? I am always jolty. Life is amazing. So, Momo, you know, Adam wrote this little thing I'm just reading. I'm giving him total credit, but he's hysterical. Have you heard? I'm sure a million people say this to you. Let's start at a gut level. Sure. Has anybody ever said that to you? No, I've not heard that. Oh, my God. <laughs> the, the obvious is not always obvious. That's what they say about my work. What's the gut <laughs> biome and why is it important to health? Could you start by telling our listeners and lookers that? Okay, so um, what we call it is gut microbiome, and uh, it's also a synonym uh, called gut microbiota. And um, it's basically a, a, a community of microorganisms that live inside the intestines. And these microorganisms are not there by chance, and they're not there as foreign objects. They've actually co-evolved with us. And we have... Um, our own physiology to take care of, meaning we need to, our body needs to perform many, many functions in order to be healthy. And some of those functions are encoded by our own genes, but many of those functions are not encoded by our own genes. We do not inherit them. We actually acquire them when we are born by acquiring this community of microbes, and they perform those functions. And I will give you some examples of those functions. So one very important function that microbes perform is that right after birth, they, the good microbes protect us against pathogens. And so, for example, a significant portion of calories that are found in breast milk are, are, cannot be con consumed by the baby, meaning the baby doesn't have the genes to consume those calories. They're actually produced specifically to feed very specific microorganisms in the intestine of the infant. And those microorganisms protect the infant from pathogens. And so this is, again, a co-evolution between humans and microorganisms. And so human milk oligosaccharides are types of carbohydrates that the mother produces, and it feeds very specific bifidobacteria. There's a, a specific one that I like that's called Bifidobacterium infantis. We, we all should have our favorite bacteria, I think. Yeah, exactly. Well, it, I have many, but this is one of them. <laughs> and Bifidobacterium infantis actually feeds on these human milk oligosaccharides from the breast milk, and it grows out, and it produces all kinds of uh, 
in molecules that create an environment that now becomes very challenging for pathogens to come in. And so it basically protects the baby. That's one thing. And the second thing is that these microorganisms are sending the right chemical signals for two very important parts of development. One is immune system development. You guys probably know that babies are born without an immune system, that in the first six months they develop an immune system, and this, these microorganisms are very important for that. And second, for neurological development. These microorganisms are important for developing the central nervous system and the peripheral nervous system. And, uh, and so literally one of the most important things after birth is to actually acquire a healthy microbiome. And unfortunately, that happens less and less often in the developed world, which is why children these days have diseases that they traditionally did not have. Right. Is that because mommies say don't touch them and don't let them get dirty and don't let them get germs? And It's a combination of things. It's first of all that um, if you look at the natural way things used to work hundreds of years ago is that mom's anus was covered with poop and microorganisms because there was no toilet paper, there was no shower, right? And the baby always came out of a vagina, you know, hundreds of years ago. And at that point in time, the baby would immediately acquire gut microbiome, right? And then we basically lived in an environment where people pooped in that environment. And there was just, environment was basically constantly replenished with gut microbiome elements that the baby would acquire. But today, uh, many children are born via C-section, but even if they're born vaginally, everything is sterile in that hospital. Everything is you know, in many cases, there's antibiotic use. The mom probably very likely in the United States has had some kind of a dysbiosis of the gut microbiome because of too many preservatives in the foods, because of overuse of antibiotics, because of too clean of an environment. And so we're talking about multifactorial reason for a baby not to be able to acquire the right healthy symbionts that it needs in order to develop properly. Interesting. Is the theory behind the fecal transplant what you indicated in terms of what's lo what's lacking today and we need to kind of externally use fecal transplants to replace the exactly. what's, go what's exactly. missing from the gut microbiome? That's exactly what it is, yes. So let's talk about another example that I'm absolutely fascinated by in terms of what do microbes provide for us. So you obviously everyone knows about covid and everyone knows about now vaccines that they're not 100% effective and you know they have a f efficacy between 50 and 95%. And so why is it that some people get COVID and then they get COVID again? And why is it that some people get vaccinated and then they get COVID and others don't, right? Why is that? Why? And, and we have identified, scientists have now identified one of the key factors for that. It's a complicated thing, but one of the key factors is there are these cells in our immune system called T cells, and they are the ones responsible for clean, clearing out the virus from us. Whether it's influenza virus or COVID virus, it doesn't matter. And these cells are called T cells. And when they recognize that we have a virus in our body, they will then convert to a memory T cell. And memory T cell will circulate in our body for decades so that if the in the next few decades, if we encounter the same pathogen, we won't have to go through the whole process of recognizing that that's a pathogen. We will basically remember, boom, this was a pathogen, that memory T cell kicks in and protects us and we don't get sick, right? But the molecular process that converts a normal reactive T cell into a memory T cell requires a chemical signal. And that chemical signal is called butyrate. 
And that butyrate is a molecule produced by our gut microbiome friends in the colon. And it's typically produced in response to consuming fiber that is not digestible to us, but it's digestible by the microbiome. And so basically what I am, you know, the paper that, that discovered this, you know, didn't mention this, but I'm translating it immediately into if you have the right microbiome at the time you have COVID or you get vaccinated for COVID, and if you're consuming the right foods, that microbiome should be producing butyrate and should be switching your immune system to go from reacting to COVID to remembering COVID so that three years later, when you get infected, you don't actually get sick. That's really interesting. It should be easy, though, to do a meta-analysis that looks at the diet of people in some kind of a A-B test and look at those who consumed a lot of fermented foods and had a healthier microbiome and draw some inferences. Well, that, that has been done, not with the specific hypothesis in mind, but generally people who eat more highly processed foods are more susceptible to reinfections. Now, the challenge with that is that that comes with several confounders, such as obesity and type 2 diabetes. People who eat highly processed foods, they also generally tend to be more overweight and more, more prevalence of type 2 diabetes, which are also very high risk factors for gaining effect. So it's a bit complicated, but I, I agree. With this specific hypothesis in mind, it is possible to do that. The best way to do it is going to be to actually measure butyrate levels in the bloodstream and, and see if they correlate. But mechanistically, this has been essentially proven, which is kind of the ultimate proof that this works. So I have a question here. Um, well, you know, you said when I, when you're on my, you were fabulous, by the way, at CES on my panel, I thought you were fantastic. Um, you said like a lot of times people go eat almonds. They're so good for you, you know, and you said that could be the killer for some people and a great thing for others. Could you talk about that? How you customize a diet or how do you yeah, find I that out? That. Well, I, 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 I hope I didn't say a killer. Um, well, I think you said it afterwards. Yeah. Um, so yes, uh, but let's talk about almonds. For example, uh, they have specific polysaccharides in them or carbs, just like many other foods. And, um, you, you as a person could look up a glycemic index for almonds and say, well, almonds don't have a high glycemic uh, index, so I can go eat as many of them as I want. But it turns out that's not the case for everyone. The glycemic index that you look up in a chart is for an average human. And very few of us are average. Some people respond very differently from that average in one direction. And so I'll give you an example in my family. So my wife and I measured that we actually wore continuous glucose monitors many years ago. And we recognized that if we eat the same amount of potatoes that my blood sugar spikes very much and hers does not. But if we eat sweet potatoes, the rules re- reversed. Oh. I, can eat, I can eat a lot of sweet potatoes and my blood sugar stays level and hers spikes very high. So we recognized that early on that there was a difference. So we at Viome Life Sciences carried out one of the largest studies ever on how does microbiome determine the blood sugar spikes after a meal? And so we ran a very large study of 550 people in the U.S. and 550 people in Japan, and we fed them a total of 60,000 meals. 
And during that time, we recorded their precise blood sugar spikes using continuous glucose monitors. So all 1,100 of them were glucose monitors while they were consuming these 60,000 meals. And we recorded the exact response. And then we performed a machine learning exercise that asked, could you have predicted this specific glucose response if we just gave you the gut microbiome data that we generate at Vion, which is a metatranscriptomic approach? And the machines came back and said, yes, we can do that, both from the gut microbiome and from the oral microbiome. So both oral microbiome and gut microbiome determine how our body is going to react to polysaccharides in the food and spike the blood sugar. And so then we, we implemented that machine learned algorithm into our app. So today, every Viome customer gets a diet that minimizes the blood sugar spikes, which high blood sugar has been now correlated with the majority of disease in the United States. So, you know, cancers, Alzheimer's, obviously type 2 diabetes, obesity, uh, and so on. And so um, it's really something that's very important to, to not have your blood sugar spike high. And we now have a very objective process that we arrived at to tell people exactly which foods to eat and which foods to avoid. So for example, for me, I can, I can enjoy sweet potatoes, but I avoid potatoes. And my wife can enjoy potatoes, but avoid sweet potatoes. And so when we cook dinners with potatoes, we cook both and I eat sweet potatoes, she eats potatoes. No problem at all. Did you did you did you normalize for what else the the uh, subjects were eating during that sixty thousand meals? So you you eliminated the, to your point earlier the confounding variables. Yeah, so we did a lot of work here. We published two papers on this, um, but basically, in summary, we designed one hundred and four different kinds of meals and snacks to capture not only the types of carbohydrates that people consume, but to combine them with different types of protein content and fat content. Because if you eat a slice of bread by itself, it'll spike your blood sugar a certain amount. If you eat it with a slice of cheese, it will do less so. And if huh. you eat it with an egg, it'll do even less so. It's like, and it's so, like the entourage effect. Yeah, so these combinations are very important. And our body was, will, will react differently. That's why we designed 104 meals. And those are all specified how we designed that in the papers. And so we fed these 60,000 meals that comprised of these 104 different kinds of meals so that we get sort of a full spectrum of what a typical human would consume. Um, and then we, we, we heavily controlled for other things. But um, yeah, all that has been published. So Momo, if... Um, if you take Munjaro or Ozempic, you don't have to bother with all that figuring out. Well, um, that's a question. That's a question. So I think that all of those drugs are now brand new. We don't know what kind of side effects they're going to have. You know, 20, 20 years ago when Humira came out, people said, hey, you can just take Humira and you're going to be fine. Arthritis is no longer going to exist, right? Well, that turns out not to be the case. Yeah, well, Ozempic's uh, been on the market 15 years, though. Okay, and for weight loss? No. Well, people have lost weight with it. It's for blood sugar. It's to right. depress blood sugar. Exactly. exactly. Well, well, right, for, to depress blood sugar. Well, we already have massive uh, class action suit lawsuits against these drugs. We already have, you know, confirmed very severe side effects. There's a woman who threw up for a whole month and lost all her teeth. It's possible, it's possible that these drugs will do overall well, 
but it's possible that they will have severe side effects for a large percentage of the population that cannot do that. So that's one thing. The second thing is you can be thin and sick. And so people with IBD and people with Alzheimer's and people with Parkinson's and all kinds of other things. No, of course, and cancer. But the the thing I'm saying is that your diet controls blood sugar. I mean, that's basically it. And here's a shot that controls blood sugar. Assuming long-term, like I say, Ozempic's been on the market 15 years, um, that could, you know, make us not work as hard. And they're looking at Eli Lilly to make it into a pill. Right. So, you know, so just asking about this. Yeah. I mean, look, um, I think that nature has solved all problems of health. And that's because there are now tens of thousands of people who are 100 years old who are cognitively, mentally, and physically healthy. So nature has already found a way. We are trying to mimic nature and find completely natural solutions for people. If some people want to have a pharmaceutical approach for certain things, those certain things are just certain things like obesity and type 2 diabetes. Blood sugar. Right. Which is your thing, right? Keeping the... Well, no, no, no. No, uh, their thing is broader than blood sugar. No, their no, thing we, is about inflammation. Let, let him, okay. Yeah. So so the, the example I gave you with picking foods specifically in order to minimize blood sugar, that's just one of many of our programs. So that was 1,100 participants. We have recruited more than 16,000 clinical research participants to learn the exact same thing about depression, about anxiety, about IBS, and many other conditions. And inflammation is one of one of the highest interests because it's sort of a root cause for many things. And so we actually started Viome with inflammatory responses. And then we moved into met- metabolic responses and then mental health and so on. And now we're moving into aging and so on. And so uh, controlling blood sugar is just one very important thing, but it's one thing. IBD, for example, has nothing to do with that. So we have an IBD program right now. IBS has nothing to do with blood sugar. So we've had an active IBD pro- IBS program. Depression has very little to do with blood sugar. So we've had an active depression program. And we are currently running four randomized controlled trials on these very prevalent diseases to test whether our personalized nutrition actually works to reduce the symptoms of these, of these diseases. Now, isn't the, isn't the risk, just to stay on the Ozempic question, which I'm sure comes up all the time, isn't the risk that as you eat less food and you reduce also then the, your intake of foods that are high in microbiomes, fermented foods and so forth, you actually might be putting yourself in a worse microbiome state than you were before? Um, it's, it's possible, but, um, I would say that's very unlikely. I would say that the main purpose of all of these GLP one receptor agonists is to reduce appetite and reduce food intake, which in my mind has only benefits. Now, if you eat foods that are so, that have so little fiber that in order to get enough fiber, you have to eat 5,000 calories per day. That's a different problem. You can overcome that problem by eating 1500 calories per day but eat foods that are whole foods and richer in, 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 in prebiotics and fibers. And therefore you can still achieve that healthy. So we need, that's why, yeah, I agree with you that if people don't change anything, simply eat less food, that there could be uh, other effects, but we need to educate people to eat better foods and mm-hmm. choose foods that are good for them. So yeah, I see that as a complementary approach uh, with some of the pharmaceuticals. But ultimately, eventually, we we will arrive at a solution that's perfectly natural, that has no side effects whatsoever, and that 
teaches and enables everyone to live to 100 very healthy. And that's really our goal, to put a, put all diseases into like Wikipedia pages, just like today we read about the Black Plague, right? No one wakes up today thinking, crap, am I going to get the Black Plague today, right? We know what causes it. We know how to transmit it. We know how to cure it. It's in history books. We want to do the same thing for Alzheimer's and type 2 diabetes and ALS and Parkinson's and every other chronic disease and cancer. That's our mission. So what about this brain biome? Can you talk about that? Well, brain biome, uh, you mean microbiome inside the central nervous system? Well, they yeah. refer to, yeah. Or gut-brain axis. Okay, go right ahead. No, she's talking about, she talked about a particular case we read about, which was the central nervous system um, yeah. creating a dementia that was reversible with an antifungal. Right. So there are papers published showing that uh, Alzheimer's patients and ALS patients do have fungi inside their central nervous system. And I think it's, it's it, fungi are definitely a contributing factor to many chronic diseases, but they have not been studied well enough. And the way I think of this is that first, there has to be a barrier broken at the gum line or the intestinal line, so leaky gut or leaky gums. And second, you have to have a blood-brain barrier that has been breached. And that allows the translocation of microorganisms all the way from mouth or intestines into the central nervous system. And you have to have some kind of a immune compromised system uh, so that you cannot respond to those. And so I think that those cases are definitely among us. I don't know how frequent they are, but that's definitely something that needs to be studied more. But I think the root cause of that is leaky gums and leaky gut, and that needs to be addressed because if they can't cross into the blood, then they can't go into the central nervous system. So what's leaky gums? Well, leaky gums simply means that you, you, you have defenses in your gums, you have complement system, you have innate immune system, and you have adaptive immune system, all of those basically preventing my, uh, microorganisms from subgingival pockets to translocate into the bloodstream. And if that, if that system, defense system is broken, then you can have microorganisms directly going into the bloodstream, and that would be leaky gums. And this has been documented for some microorganisms. And there are microorganisms specifically in the gums that can actually break down this immune defense. And one of them that is the sort of the keystone uh, bacterium, my, one of my least favorite ones is Porphyromonas gingivalis or PG. And so it, it is known to produce toxins that can basically break down our defenses in the gums, in the subgingiva, and, uh, and release toxins and then translocate into the bloodstream. Faith, remember when your mother said to you, if you have a toothache, it could go to the brain? No, my mother didn't say that. Oh, it's a very, yes. Well, that's exactly oh. what he's talking about. It's about oh. literally, literally. And that's why you have now, I read an oral health um, platform that you built into Viome to help people understand the health of their oral biome. Exactly. That's exactly why we added oral microbiome analysis, because the best test on the market for autism spectrum disorder is a saliva test. The best test for Parkinson's disease is a saliva test. And now we, that's from, but developed by others at Tufts University, we have developed the best test for oral and throat cancer using a saliva analysis. And it's been shown in the literature that salivary microbiome is very important in arthritis and metabolic diseases and definitely Alzheimer's. 
And so when you put all these things together, you realize, wow, this is an important part of our ecosystem and we have to study it. And we we need to understand what is a healthy oral microbiome and what makes it unhealthy. And then very importantly, how do we actually modulate it back to healthy? And so we now have a test that is offered only to practitioners. It's called OH Pro. And the practitioners not only receive the full clinical report in terms of the findings, but they actually receive our treatment recommendations, which two of the groups are just nutrition and hygiene, but the third one is actually pharmaceutical because the scores would be so, so bad for these people. Um, And so we've released that and we've released also oral lozenges, which contain small molecules and probiotics and prebiotics and postbiotics uh, that whose function is to reverse some of the dysbiosis or, or bad players back to healthy in the oral cavity. Uh, and we're, we just finished running a, a clinical trial to identify or to test the ability of our lozenges to improve oral health. So we're going to analyze the data in the next couple of months. And in a couple of months, we're releasing a, a personalized toothpaste. So both the lozenges and the toothpaste are personalized. That means that we first have to test someone's oral microbiome. And then the computer decides which one of the oral lozenges or toothpaste is best for that person. Well, how many, how many do you have? Or you... We, we, we have five different uh, formulations for lozenges at the moment. Um, and the same for, uh, for toothpaste. But those will expand into more as we gather more data and are able to refine uh, more subtypes. But for now, five is enough. Can I ask about Alzheimer's, which is the biggest fear people have when you look at the data and and rightly so. So you got the gut brain axis, which is one potential link. You've got now the oral microbiome. Are these additive cumulative risks is sort of like your risk cup is increased um, by all of these different um, microbiome impacts on the gut, on the brain's uh, integrity? Well, I, uh, no one knows the answer to that question precisely. We just simply don't know all the mechanisms of Alzheimer's. Uh, there are a bunch of risk factors that have been identified. And I think that what is going to turn out to be the case is that there are m- several ways in which a person can land with Alzheimer's. And the combination is going to include genetic predisposition. It's going to Im- include immune system reactivity, overactivity, or underactivity. It's going to include gut health and oral health. And it's going to include the microbiome in the gut and the oral cavity, specific members that are performing specific biochemical functions. All of that combined will lead to Alzheimer's. All of them combined will have the same, will combine to influence the amyloid plaque or there are other yeah. things in the brain that they influence? I think that all of them will combine to various degrees. So when I think of systems biology and our physiology, I think of formulas. I think that there's going to be a formula, which is what is the factor that contributes to a disease and what is the coefficient associated with that factor, meaning like a, like literally a coefficient. It's a weighted, weighted sum of a bunch of factors. And so I think that everything that I listed are going to be factors, but that doesn't mean that, you know, everyone needs all of those, that, that some, some people, for example, who have a genetic predisposition, they may not have to have a leaky gut. All they have to do is have porphyromonas gingivalis in large amounts in the subgingiva that create leaky gums, and then some kind of an inflammatory response that damages the blood-brain barrier that allows porphyromonas gingivalis to go into the central nervous system, 
for its toxins to go into the central nervous system. And because of the uh, genetic predisposition, they're going to develop Alzheimer's just using those, those few sub-factors. But for a bunch of other people, they will need a leaky gut with the right members of the gut microbiome that causes systemic chronic inflammation that eventually leads to blood-brain barrier leakiness, and then combined with some other factors. So I think it's going to be multifactorial. The part that I want to emphasize is that today, not some number of years from now, but today, we have 100% of science and technology to answer your question. What is not being done is no one has developed a business model or a scientific platform that is actually solving the problem. What we have is academia that are completely um, broken down into individual PIs, and every PI studies one portion of one of these factors. And no one can put together the story. And in pharma, pharma is not interested in preventing Alzheimer's. They they will not spend a dollar trying to understand what causes Alzheimer's. Why is that? Because there is no money in, to them there is no money in prevention. So no one has built a successful business model by p- to keep people healthy. Viome, to my knowledge, is the first large company whose business model is to keep people healthy. Until, to, until Viome, everyone was thinking, how do we manage illness, right? Today, you have very large, very extensive, very expensive clinical trials for cancer whose job is only to extend a person's life. It has it has no goal of curing anyone. It's simply, can we extend extend the life of this person in pain and misery for three months? Because if we can, that'll give us extra money that justifies our existence, right? That is, that is one of the big focus areas in oncology. It has nothing to do with prevention or even curing because if you cure someone, well, then they you don't stop buying your stuff, yeah. Yeah, and so... That is, that is why I'm saying both academia and pharma are not solving the problem. And in the minds of people, they think that they are, but they're not. But what I want to emphasize again is that we have today as a society 100% of all science and technology to understand what causes IBD, what causes ALS, what causes Alzheimer's, and find natural ways to completely prevent them and put them in history books. It's just that no one's doing it except us. So I was going to say, how big is your company, Momo? Well, I mean, we currently have over 100 employees and uh, we've been in business for seven plus years. And uh, yeah, we know a lot about what what are the causes of ALS, the targets. But I don't know if we have all of them. You think we do. And it's just a matter of developing the drugs to target them. No. Or is it a matter of the lifestyle interventions early enough where you could prevent its full expression? That's exactly what it is. I mean, I would say that one hypothesis is colonization of a person with specific fungal species, either in the respiratory tract or the gastrointestinal tract or both, that produces mycotoxins that essentially kill neurons in the central nervous system is one hypothesis. That hypothesis is very testable and you can approach it that way if you'd like. But I don't, I don't, that's not my approach. My approach is let's not have hypotheses. Let's test every single nook and cranny in the body of people with ALS and people without ALS and nail down exactly what are the mechanisms that lead to ALS. That's step one. And step two, what can we do about it? How can we prevent the, 
you know, if this turns out to be the case that a, a specific fungus is causing it, what can we do to prevent colonization? Who are the enemies of this fungus? Why is it that not everyone has it? Is it specific immune system deficiencies? Is it specific other micro, microorganisms that are preventing the colonization of this fungus? And if it is, let's just come up with a probiotic. You snort out the probiotic once every month and you're, you will never develop ALS. That would be, it's essentially a one possible solution that simply, that's the solution. It's that simple. And ALS goes into history books. We say, oh, it was this fungus that, that produces this mycotoxins that, that kills glia cells, that kill your neurons. That's what ALS is. We now know that XYZ microorganism prevents this fungus from colonizing. As If you don't have it by test, you get it as a probiotic, you snort it up, and you never will develop ALS. That's it. You're done. So how come Viome, your company, um, is into prevention when no other, you know, as you say, pharma company is interested in it? Why Why are you? Because we want to solve a problem. We don't want to make money. We don't. We, I don't want to retire and say, I've made a certain amount of money. That's not, that's not li- what life is about. So the founders of IOM, you know, Naveen, Jane, and Guru Banavad and I, we, we left our previous jobs as scientists and entrepreneurs, and we wanted to create an entity that actually solves the problem. We did not want to just have a job and make money and say that. That's not important to us anymore. We really want to utilize the science and technology to help people live better lives because we've seen it all. We've seen it all. You know, we've seen people dying from chronic diseases and cancers. We know that it's unnecessary. We know we can prevent it. It's basically like being in the Black Plague outbreak in the 13th century and saying, I want to be able to stop this and prevent it. I don't want all this, the, the world to be consumed by this suffering and death, right? Look, being able to solve it, to identify it upstream and then intervene downstream before it becomes a full-blown expression. You know, I remember when your website said illness is a choice or something pretty much like that. And I had the privilege, I tell Faith, of meeting Naveen at a TED conference seven years ago, and he was talking about this then. So clearly it's a mission-driven effort. Yep. That's it. Every day. Annie and I had one question before you got on. Let's say you live, you know, a processed food life, a McDonald's pizza life. Is it too late at some point to turn around? It's not too late, but uh, the answer depends. So if you have keystone species that our body requires for health, um, then you can revive them by switching to healthy diet, right? Whole foods and so on. If you've lost them, then that becomes a challenge because many of those species are anaerobic and it's going to be very challenging to reinstate them, which is why a lot of people do fecal microbiota transplants, right? You can now go to YouTube and learn in 15 minutes how to do a fecal microbiota transplant. And I suspect hundreds of thousands of people do it at their homes and cure themselves using this. Um, So... Um, so the answer is complicated. Um, you know, I, I had antibiotic use for three years because of foreign travel. Um, it was just a prophylactic use of antibiotics for three years. Um, and so my microbiome was severely, severely depleted. And I basically became very, very active at rewilding my gut. And so for a few years, I did a lot of extreme things that would be considered today extreme. Uh, I didn't consider them extreme, but for example, when our ancestors were picking roots, for example, carrots, do you think they peeled them 10,000 years ago? No. They didn't have a peeler. They didn't have a soap. They pulled out the root. They shook off like major soil, and then they ate it. 
what is on that carrot? It's billions of microorganisms live that are going now in. And you do that all day, every day. If you lived in a some kind of a tiny home, you know, a thousand years ago, well, there are people who do that today, for example, they're pooping everywhere all around. And you're, you're walking in that poop. Uh, you don't have soap to wash your hands. When you go poop and you touch things that you've pooped on, your fingers are filled with your poop. And then you eat with your hands. So there's natural recycling, and this is all natural. Um, this is completely natural. It's just that because of the pathogens, we have essentially translated that into all bugs are bad. Let's kill them all. And so now, because of a listeria outbreak that kills one person, we sterilize all of our food that comes You're in. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely and, right. And, and we right. just, we have lost touch with nature. So it is possible. So we basically developed an organic garden. We didn't wash anything. I, I would go pick my lettuce that had soil on it, put it in my bowl and eat it right there. I would pull out a carrot and I would eat it just like old fashioned people. Yeah. And so for a few years, we did the, we did this very dirty life. We ate it with, we, we ate with our hands. We went to nature and ate and dirt. You know, I used my hands, which were all in dirt. Um, and my microbiome recovered very well. And uh, now it's like one of the better ones. So it's possible. But if you follow the normal modern standards of, ooh, use Purell every time you touch anything, bleach everything, sterilize everything, all that stuff, and you eat foods that are completely preserved and sterilized, that's a problem. So one last question. So is it better not to have such a clean house? Um, well, clean is 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 a relative term. Um, if you mean clean... Like uh, Lysol or... Yeah. So our houses, the only time where you're exposed to bad things would be if you have mold in the house, which is very possible. So you should not get mold in the house, right? Um, and um, the rest really there is really nothing bad in the house, right? There's really nothing bad that could be there. So clean house, to me, I vacuum the house, not because I'm worried about germs on the floor, like there's no food on the floor, so they can't grow, right? There's no organic matter. I'm actually worried about the carpet fibers and any other synthetic fiber that's in my house. I want to vacuum that up so I don't breathe it in. But I'm really not worried about bacteria in the house at all. In fact, it's been shown in publications that people like Amish, who basically track all of their, you know, nature into their house and live with nature, they have lower prevalence of chronic diseases, especially in children. And it's been also shown that people with pets who track dirt from outside to inside also have a, a richer microbiome. So I think dirt is good. And in fact, I think there's a book called Dirt is Good or something like that. Eat dirt or something like that. <laughs> Look, we've, we've, over, we've overcorrected and we like enemies and, you know, germ theory taught us that germs are enemies and we have no nuance about that to your point. Yeah. And, you know, Faith and, Faith and I wrote a book a while ago called Dictionary of the Future. We identified terms that were going to become more meaningful. One of them was the hygiene hypothesis, which is exactly about children being more susceptible to asthma and so forth because we have overly sterilized their environments. Yeah, what you yes. talked about earlier. So, Momo, yes. this was absolutely fascinating. I'm thanking you a million times. I'm sure that everybody's going to want to ask questions. Tell the um, tell our listeners where they can find you if they want to ask you something, or maybe they want to invest in well, your company. <laughs> so, I can be found on LinkedIn. Uh, that's one place. The other thing is that we have a very extensive 
uh, catalog of blog articles on Viome. And the one that I think is absolutely by far the best introduction to everything I've talked about is something that we call Nutrition 2.0. So if you just Google Viome Nutrition 2.0, it's, it's the term that you know, I coined about 14 years ago and that we've you know, implemented at Viome. And it's a nutritional science approach that I described for controlling blood sugar, which is 100% objective and scientific. There are no opinions. There are no anecdotes. There are no uh, fad diets. There's no sort of subjectivity. It is hardcore. Measure the human body using a clinical laboratory test, which is what we do at Viome. Overlay mathematical equations that you learn from very large, broad studies to compute the personalized diet for every person. And so chemistry and math, there is no, no human like, oh, I think this is good for you. And so um, I'm very proud of this. And so if, if the readers can just Google Viome Nutrition 2.0, we wrote a very nice blog article. Uh, and then there are other blog articles, and we've published many papers that, are, that get very technical. These are peer-reviewed scientific articles that show all of our data, if anyone wants to geek out. Otherwise, look me up on LinkedIn, and I post all our articles. Could tell them is tell them how to look you up. It the, should they look up Momo? You say exactly. it exactly. Momo Vujicic. Just Google Momo Vujicic LinkedIn, and boom, it'll be there. And you can follow me or befriend me, and uh, we can be BFFs. Yeah, and by the way, Viome is with a V, so that's the name of the company. And we so thank you very very much. Yeah, V I O M E E. Thank you so much, Momo. We'll see you My soon. Pleasure. My pleasure. Love to share this. Thank you both very much. Okay. Bye-bye, sweetheart. I just love Momo. Um, he was, I, I just want to roll around in my yard and I'm never washing any vegetables again. I, I don't eat, I don't really wash vegetables if they're, if, if they're organic. But look, this is a whole different way of looking at our body, looking at our well-being. Yeah. I think it's a super important work and super need to educate people about things they have control over that they probably don't realize. But he was very articulate about what we can do and not just wait for bad shit to happen. Pardon my Yeah. Approach. But you know, Adam, Addy, you know, this whole thing about organic, a lot of times organic uh, vegetables, let's say go uh, get, get dumped into inorganic trucks. You know, I mean, that's the thing about organic. You don't know. It's better to grow it. your own. There's no doubt about it, but it's better to be, have some contamination in a truck than being sprayed with all kinds of crap. That's suit, true. Right? But it's, true not, it's not perfect. But also, maybe some of that those pesticides I don't help stimulate so. our immune system. I oh, don't there's a theory. Think so. There's a theory about that. Well, it's not my theory. So anyway, we can each do his own theory. But he was really great. I loved him. I loved him at the yeah. panel. I loved him today. So good. All right. Well, we'll see you in the right. future. Bye, everybody. See you in the future. Before Faith and I go, I just want to remind you to subscribe to Jolty, follow us, listen on your podcast platform of choice, tell your friends, make your enemies like you better, and get Jolty out into the world. We thank you. Yeah, beam us up, babies. Ciao. Beam us up. Keep us up. <laughs>